0: Are you ready? Three, four of you are ready. Get ready. Are you ready? All right, good. We are uh, doing a series right now, and it is titled Get Ready because we believe God is telling us as a church to get ready. We have a wonderful history. And God has done amazing things, and, and you have heard this morning from a a, a a couple of people that have been around this church for quite some time, and uh, we're highlighting some of our, our, when I say seniors, I don't mean this being seniors in age, although some of them are, but seniors in this church who have seen God do things over the course of time. And and we believe that God is saying, hey, due to your circumstances and due to the, the capacity of this church, and you're maxing out these areas, and we have 12 parking spaces, and and that we, we are placed in, in, a, in, in an environment, in an area, in a place of the country which needs to hear the gospel of Christ, that we need to get ready for what God is about to do. Last week we talked about uh, Moses. In fact, it was get ready to look back. We've been using Joshua chapter 1, and we'll be using the first three chapters of Joshua for this series. And uh, last week we read how how first thing God says to Joshua in in, in Joshua chapter 1 is, uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, who had been leading the, the, the Israelites for 40 years, uh, actually a little bit longer than that, right, is dead. And, and then he says to Joshua, hey, get ready. Moses may be dead. Moses is my, my, my man. Moses my servant. Moses, who, who, who performs so many miracles um, through God's authority and power. This man is dead. But Joshua, you get ready. Moses may be dead, but my plans are not dead. My purposes and my my mission is not dead. And so get ready to inherit the land that I'm about to give to you. And we believe God is saying the same thing to us. That this season for this building may be over. But his plans and purposes for this church are not. And he has placed us here because he wants us to spread his gospel and to lead people to Christ. And we know that we are overwhelmed in this area of people who do not know Jesus Christ. So, Glad Tidings, are you ready? Gee, that was weaker than anything before. Airborne School, 1992. How many people went through Airborne School here? There's a couple people, right? No? I can see them. They're normally probably in the back. Airborne School, 1992. I I remember it well. Uh, It was the first time I jumped out of a plane Uh, I was in the Army, had gone through boot camp and uh, was going through three weeks of airborne school. And how airborne school works is this, is that they train you for the first couple of weeks and they teach you how to exit the aircraft, how to, to basically... Pull your reserve in case of a malfunction, how to steer your parachute, how to land, how to lower your equipment, how to look for dangers, and all kinds of things. And so they train you for a couple of weeks. And then that final week, that third week, is what they call jump week. That's when you take everything that you've learned and you actually jump out of a plane. And all of us going through airborne school are excited to be there. We want to be there. Man, you know, just be able to say I'm a paratrooper for the Army is just awesome. At least if you're a guy like me, that's what I thought. And, and so I was excited. I was pumped. And then that third week came. And I remember sitting in the hangar with my parachute. And I could hear the engines of the C-130 begin to pick up. And I faced Fear. As tough as I thought I was, and the thoughts that began to go through my head were, were simply these. Hey, what, what if the guy who packed my chute was angry at the army? True story. This happens. You get some disgruntled guy, he ties a knot in his chute, and the poor gentleman who draws that chute becomes a meat bomb. Okay? Not good. And so I thought, man, what if that happens? And, and then I, I started thinking about all the things they trained us about because they're training you because there are possibilities of accidents and things happening. So I thought, well, what, what happens if, if I, I become a toe jumper? See, when you jump in the military, a lot of times you can have a lot of equipment on. I didn't that particular day. It was my first jump. But when you jump out of an airplane, if you have things tied down, like your rifle and canteens and other gear on you, if that cord gets wrapped up and tangled in the plane when you jump out, you leave the plane, but you're tied to the plane. And then you get beaten up against the plane at a high altitude. Well, not that high, about 1,200 feet, but high enough. And then if you don't get knocked out, what they do is they just cut your cord and hope you're not knocked out and hope the chute opens and all of that. So I start thinking, what if, what if that happens? And, and then, then I go, well, what, what happens if I get a static line injury? Here's another possibility. And when we jumped, we had static lines, which were lines that were hooked to a cable in the aircraft that actually pulled your chute out. We weren't free-falling. The, the, the static line pulled our chute and deployed our chute once we jumped. And so I remember thinking, man, what happens if I become a static line injury? Because what happens is you have the static line in your hand, and there's about 20 guys in front of you, depending on where you're on the line, and you're walking towards the jump master who is basically beckoning you. He's standing next to the door. And as you come towards him, you hand your static line to him. It's attached to a cable, and he just gathers it up tight. Well, what can happen if the guy in front of you is nervous, which most of the time they are, They throw their static line rather than hand it. If he misses it, it bounces back. And then when you go out, your arm gets wrapped in his static line. His static line is staying in the plane, and you are leaving the plane. Your arm tends to stay with the static line in the plane while you leave the plane. All right, this happens. I had a friend that actually had a static line injury. Thank God it didn't rip his arm off. But every time he flexed from here on out, his bicep was way down here forever static line injury then I thought well what if I make it out of the plane what happens if I have this major malfunction this happens too what happens if I have a partial malfunction and then I fall to the ground what happens if if I get mixed up with another jumper tangled in because there are a lot of jumpers in the sky I had a lot of fear and I thought What happens if none of that happens, and then I get hurt when I land? There was all kinds of things going through my mind. And you would think maybe that was all I feared about, but then my fear went on. What if I didn't jump out of the plane? What if I I got there, and I got to the door, and I froze, and I couldn't do it? Then what happens to me? What would I do in that circumstance? Even worse, what would they do in that circumstance? Make a long story short, I didn't freeze, I didn't have an injury, I jumped out of that plane, but I can tell you this, fear made me jump out of that plane. It wasn't because I was brave, I was just more afraid of staying in the plane than I was of dying on the drop zone. And so I jumped out of that plane, and I got to the ground, and I landed, and I stood up, the first thing I thought was, that was awesome, that was great, let's do it again, And they bust us up, put us on the bus, and yeah, we went and did it right again. Went right back. I got in the the terminal. I got my chute. Man, what if the guy who packed his chute was angry at the army? Everything started again. Just because you had one safe jump doesn't mean that they're all going to be safe. My dad had some words of comfort for me. He said, Selwyn, if it's your time to go, God's going to take you. Whether you're hiding under your bed or whether you're jumping out of a plane. That helped for a little bit, and please, let me be clear on this. Uh, That doesn't justify doing stupid things and blaming God, all right? Like, if you're living, that was part of my job. And even if you're jumping recreationally, like, they don't go stand on train tracks and be like, if it's my time to go. No, you're just an idiot. Don't do that, all right? So, um I think in many cases, for me, it was the fear of quitting that kind of pushed me through. Have you ever had that? Maybe I was too afraid of quitting. It wasn't that I wasn't afraid, but I was afraid of not going through with it. Fear defined is this. It's a feeling of agitation, anxiety, caused by the presence or imminence of danger. How many of you have experienced fear? Come on. We've all experienced fear. Alright? Everyone has. Since that day, I've had many different types of fear that I've experienced. Uh, In fact, the experience of fear that I've had since then have actually made that look like child's play. That was easy. There are far greater things to be afraid of. I, I... when I think of fear, so many times that I've gone through fear have, have been in the midst of serving God. Fear doesn't come from God. But fear, I found in my experience, certainly accompanies sometimes the things of God. Yeah, you know, we talk about faith, but honestly, faith, where would faith be if there wasn't fear? If there wasn't fear, it wouldn't really require faith, would it? No. No. It wouldn't. And I can look back at my life. I actually go back to a time when I was in the mission field with my family. Some of the greatest experiences of fear have been actually there. You know, we used to travel by boat around the island when we'd go to certain places. And, and the boat that we used was a, about a 17 foot skiff, which is like an open bow boat, probably about this high off the water. And, and it was, you know, steered by a tiller outboard engine at the back. End, and we would basically encounter some pretty big waves. In fact, when we left the village that we, uh, where we lived in, we would actually go out around the coral reef and we'd actually turn the corner. Once we turned that corner... nobody can see you there's no communication there's no radar there's no radios there's nothing and and once we turned that corner basically we'd go around this dormant volcano and there were these massive um not massive cliffs but probably about 100 foot cliffs that would come out of the water and there were reefs below it and the waves these big swells from the ocean would come in and bounce off against those cliffs and bounce back into this well. So you can imagine how choppy it was. And we would take this, this 17-foot skiff with about six or seven of us in it into that. And the only way to describe that is, is to have you sit in a chair here and have two people with five-gallon buckets of water and just constantly dousing you with water. That's what it was like. When you'd go up waves and down waves and they would break over the bow of the boat. And honestly, it was terrifying. Because... We are in an area where there are sharks, and it was dangerous. If the boat sank, nobody would know. There would be no distress call. No one would know to come and find you. And even if you had your life jackets on, where are you going to go? There's no, you can't get out from, you'll get bashed up against the coral reefs, and then there's cliffs. You can't get out. And so I'm there with my family, and my kids are young, and they don't swim well. And I remember just coming up with a plan. Go, okay, if we go in or go under, just grab me, I'll grab, you know. And I, that's the best plan I could come up with. And I remember just praying, going, "Oh God, you've got to help us." And some days it was calm and beautiful, and other days it was not. It was terrifying. The same place, I've had fears of sickness, where, where it was a place where a malaria epidemic had broken out a few couple of years before, and my kids were getting well, Michael was getting eaten up with mosquitoes. I remember waking up at night just basically sweating, full of anxiety, going, "God, man, I need you to protect my kids." And the comforting thing is I stood next to the graves of kids, missionary kids that had died of malaria. One family lost all five kids at different times to malaria. I stood next to the graves of missionaries who who one took a battle axe to his head in the middle of the jungle. and He's buried in insignificance in the middle of the jungle, probably no less called than I. And so when you stand in the reality of man, this is the reality. The reality is you can die. Reality, even worse, is your kids could die, your family could die. These things, and, and there are times where I would wake up in the middle of the night, just panic, going, "God, man, if you don't do something here, like our, our total life dependency is on you." You know, you go to the mission field to help everybody else, and then you find yourself in these circumstances. See, there are times in my life, too, even as a pastor, I've dealt with anxiety. You didn't know it. I hit it well. There are times not too long ago, a few years ago, that I thought maybe I was going crazy. Times I was working so much, I'd come home, and I remember I'd sit back, I couldn't even watch TV. If I watched TV and I was watching some kind of drama or some kind of news, if there was some problem anywhere, I literally got shaky. And I said, Lord, I can't watch this. I can't handle one more problem. I don't want to read the newspaper. I don't want to hear issues because I get shaky and nervous. And then I would try to relax, but the more I was still, I'd get inside of my head Those of you who've had anxiety know what I'm talking about. And then you get almost trapped in your head. I remember Lori was going to leave one day just to go to shopping. I said, I just don't need you to go. I'm just afraid. I don't even know what I'm afraid of. This is me as a pastor. As a Christian serving God. Thinking I was going crazy. Guys, I've been there. So if you've been in anxiety, I've been there too. See, the problem was that if I sat still, I would think too much and get overwhelmed and the only way to not was just to continue working but that was part of the problem because I was exhausting myself and so it seems like I couldn't win There's only God who brought me through that and he did bring me through it I went to my dad I said dad I feel like I'm losing my mind I feel like I'm going crazy he said that's the ministry (laughs) he said I did too he said I remember exactly when I was in ministry and how I felt the pressures and how I felt like I was going crazy too he said, you're not going crazy, someone," And that gave me peace. Didn't calm everything immediately. I've had the fears of the future. Fears of the present. I've been afraid of sickness. I remember going to a doctor's office and, and, and after several tests, they called us in the last afternoon, the last appointment of the day, and they sat us down and they told us, Courtney has leukemia. It was a Friday afternoon. They said, We'll have to send you for further tests. Now, this doctor had really no right to tell us that. She wasn't a specialist, but she did. I remember the weekend praying and crying with Courtney all weekend long, crying out to God, What does this mean, this cancer? I told First Service this, but I didn't get to tell him she didn't have leukemia. (laughs) Somebody came up to me and said, You never told him Courtney didn't have leukemia. She didn't have leukemia. God is faithful. But I went through that fear and I went through all of that. Guys, fear comes in all parts of life. Different circumstances produce different kinds of fear. I've had the fear of making decisions involving other people that could literally cost them their lives. That's terrifying. What kind of fear have you dealt with? Again, the fears that I've gone through and experienced in my life now really make the fear of jumping out of a plane look like rookie stuff. It really is. You know what I've found in my own life, though, is that the intensity of the fear, if not given into, highlights the immensity of the miracle God is doing. It seems like the, the larger the fear was in my life, The greater the risk, the greater the concern. It just felt like, honestly, the bigger the miracle that God was performing. But then there are times in in, in our sicknesses where we go, you know what, there's nothing that I can do. This is not about anybody else. I'm just facing this fear inside of me, and I don't know what to do. It's not something that I can give into. But see, fear comes up in our lives. And fear actually highlights sin in our lives. See, fear isn't from God. Man, fear is human nature and it's real. But what happens is is that when we face certain circumstances in our lives, fear begins to bubble up. And fear is lack of trust in who God is. Fear is saying, man, God, I don't know if you've really got me in this. Fear is when we think that the circumstances dwarf our God. Or that God has somehow forgotten us. And it seems like many times in my life when I find myself in fear, when it comes to a circumstance or an illness or whatever it may be, I say, God, would you take away the circumstance that's leading me to feel this way? Because I don't like how I'm feeling. I feel like God says, so when you're getting it wrong. The problem is not your circumstance. The problem is the emotion and the feeling that that circumstance creates in you. It only brings to the service a lack of trust in who I am that exists in you. And what you want me to do is get rid of the circumstances so you don't have to deal with the issue of lack of trust. And you can push that down. He said, but what I want to do is, no, I want to deal with the issue of lack of trust. I've got the circumstances. But why don't you trust me in the midst of it? I can handle it. Man, this is God who spoke and formed the world. He can handle your sickness. He can handle your circumstances. But what we have to wrestle with is how am I going to respond to the fear that grows inside of me, whether it is a sickness or whether it's a circumstance or whether it's a decision Holman's Bible Dictionary says this, Fear, it's a broad range of emotions that embrace both the secular and the religious worlds. Secular fear is the natural feeling of alarm caused by expectation of imminent danger, pain, or disaster. Religious fear appears as a result of awe or reverence towards a supreme power. And so when we talk about freedom of fear, we're not talking about freedom from religious fear. Religious fear is good. It's good to have a healthy fear, a healthy reverence for God. But when we talk about freedom from fear, we're talking about the secular fear. fear, The fear that comes from the world. And freedom from fear only comes as individuals trust in God who protects The New Testament teaches us this, that Christians are no longer slaves of fear, for Christ has given them not a spirit of timidity or cowardice, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. In the Old Testament, that Hebrew word used um, that we translate as fear can also be translated as terror. I've given the definition of fear being an agitation or anxiety caused by the presence of imminence uh, uh, of danger. And the definition of terror for us is this intense, overpowering fear. When I think of terror, it's different to me than fear. Terror is overwhelming. Terror is overpowering. I gave the example of this in, in, in first service. How Lori and I handle emergency situations is quite different. I'm not picking on Lori. This is just who she is. If she sees something that's scary, that the kids are about to get hurt by something, she freezes. She goes, ah! Okay, she doesn't sound like that, but whatever. Good thing she's not here. And she freezes. And I get annoyed. Like, Like, if you see something's about to happen, don't freeze. My response is, ah, and run after and go do something. But Lori freezes. And we all respond differently, but sometimes that terror, that fear can be crippling. It can cause us to, 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 to freeze. Not just in our action, like physically running and doing something, but sometimes in our walks, in our lives, in our spirits. Fear If given into, is crippling. Jesus, while walking on the water, calms his disciples. It's found in Matthew 14, 27-31. With these words, remember they're in the boat. And it's kind of stormy out. And they see this being walking, this person walking on the water. They don't know it's Jesus. And then Jesus says to them this, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. So here's Peter, he, he sees Jesus, and Jesus is doing the impossible, and everything in Peter says, man, I want to be where you are. And he says, call me, tell me to come to you, and, and, and Jesus, come to me. It's crazy, it's insane. But Peter gets out of the boat, right? Now, he, he is walking on water. He is walking on water, and he's walking towards Jesus. It is happening. He's in the miracle. It's amazing. It's crazy. And he's walking towards them. And then it says this But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So he's walking in this amazing, miraculous moment on water. And as he's walking, he's amazed, but he gets distracted from Jesus who he's walking to. And part of probably the amazement of what he's doing is highlighted by how bad the waves and the wind are. And so as he's walking, he begins to look at the wind. And as he looks at the things that should strike terror into his heart, As he looks at the things that make this impossible, that mean that he should be drowning or sinking, he gets distracted and he begins to focus on those things and he becomes afraid. And he's already in the miracle. It's kind of hard to criticize him when he's walked on water. I haven't. I'm sure you haven't. So he's walking on water, and then gripped with fear, he begins to sink. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hands and catches him and says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? That's not a fair question. Why did you doubt that you could walk on water, Peter? I think a fair question is, Why did you think you could walk on water, Peter? Like, that makes more sense. Like, that's more like, don't be stupid. Don't walk, I'm God, you're not. But know what Jesus says, Peter, why did you doubt you could walk on the impossible? Why did you doubt that you of little faith? And he kind of rebukes Peter for his lack of faith for doing the impossible. How many of you know that fear can impact your walk with Christ and towards Christ? How many of you know that man? fear in your life, if given into, can prevent you from going where God wants you to go? Fear in your life, if given into, can prevent you from being used the way God wants to use you. It can prevent you from seeing and receiving miracles that God wants to do in you and through you. What is fear preventing God from doing in your life? What is fear keeping you from? Has fear hindered your walk with Christ? After wandering in the desert for 40 years, we find Joshua camped out with 2 million Israelites on the east side of Jordan. Getting back to our texts, on Get Ready. He's camped out on the east side of the Jordan with two million Israelites. And I want to read you the first few verses of Joshua chapter 1 and kind of recap a little bit from last week. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them to the Israelites. Let me pause there for a second. If you weren't here last week, listen to the sermon or get the CD. Moses being dead is a significant thing that he's saying. Moses the man that I have used. Moses the leader. Moses who was born for this. Moses who was raised in Egypt under Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's son. And I trained Moses for this. This was what his life existed for. Moses who you saw perform so many miracles under the, through the power of God's name. This Moses, this leader, this man of God, this man that died and God buried him. That Moses is dead. Now it's on you, Joshua. That's scary stuff. If you don't think it's scary, you're not reading it well enough. That is scary stuff. But this is what he says. Moses is dead. Now you get ready and all, with all of these people to cross into the land I'm about to give to them. Then he says, This, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people. To inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. This is like deja vu for the Israelites, right? When you think of Israelites, maybe not for these particular individuals. They had been here before, 40 years earlier. Their parents found themselves basically camped on the outside of the promised land, didn't they? 40 years earlier, everything that God had said to them, God freed them from Egypt. God, God produced these amazing miracles Right, He parted the Red Sea. He led them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He fed them with manna. He did all of these amazing things, countless miracles that he performed and God did. And, and, and he leads them to this promised land and they're there. And the story goes like this in Numbers 13. They send the spies out and the spies come back with this report. Except for two of them. The report goes as follows. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they were spread among the Israelites, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so Caleb and Joshua come back saying, no, listen, yes, these guys are big, and yes, the obstacles are there, but man, God has given us this land. We can do this. And the other guys say, hold on a second. No, no, we can't attack these people. There's no way. We seemed like grasshoppers. We were tiny compared to them. We seemed like grasshoppers to them, and we felt like grasshoppers ourselves. And they turned the people's hearts to fear. And the people lost hearts They lost their heart. They lost their their, 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 their confidence in God because they faced great odds and they didn't believe God would do what he said. You know, it's it's funny because we can look at these guys and we can say, you know what? I don't know how they could do that. I mean, God, they were there when Moses held out that staff over the Red Sea and the waters parted. I mean, they had to walk through the Dead Sea, as waters towered above them. I mean, how could they possibly die? They were following a a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, like, every day. And God led them to these places. Like, how could they back away from God now? How could they be so afraid? You know what's sad that in our lives is how many things that God does for us that we begin to take for granted? How many times we look back at our own lives and maybe there's a miracle that God has performed, but maybe it was a while ago. Can I can I say something just to be generic too here? The fact that you can even take an, another breath right now is a miracle from God. The fact that the sun's going to set, the fact that life can come, the fact that the seasons change, we live. See, see, the Bible says that the heavens and the earth declares glory. And we live in the midst of all of this, and yet what? We find ourselves fearful. Can I also say this? Let me, let me say that some of my greatest times of fear have been right in the presence of where God had led me. See, sometimes it's easy for us to kind of criticize the Israelites and go, man, I, I wouldn't have done that because, I mean, if I had seen the waters part, man, honestly, how come you're here? What miracle has God done in your life to bring you here? Where were you emotionally? Where were you physically? Where were you were you were you before you knew God? And what has he done to bring you here? And what reason? What reason can you give that he now earns your lack of faith and trust in him? See, it's true in my life too. I, I honestly, when we went to the mission field, felt like like God said, hey, you're going to go, and, and, and honestly, we went away for a weekend before all this happened. We felt like, we just felt the sensing that God was doing this, and we went to pray, and we prayed and, and, uh, and said, we just want God to kind of speak to us and tell us, yes, go, no, don't go. We went away and praying, and we didn't really hear anything from God, except we just had this feeling like, no, we're supposed to do this. And so what I said was, we said, okay, let's just agree that, to move forward with this and say, okay, God, would you confirm this through Lori as we move forward? We don't want to move out of your will. And God did. He confirmed it through Lori. The reason why I asked that was because Lori was not in favor. Lori's not a camper to go live in the jungle in a tent for seven months. Listen, if Lori comes to me and says, yes, God is doing this, I know God is doing this. You know, because that's not likely. It's like saying me saying God's called me to the mall to do ministry. That's not going to happen unless God says that, all right? This is not me. So Isaac said, God, if you're going to do this, would you confirm it? Because we move together, Lori and I. And moves of faith, and God did that, and so we just felt like god said don 't raise money to go, and so we just started walking towards it, and we said man we 're committed in our hearts we 're going to go no matter what. The church raised money for us, they raised about seventeen thousand dollars for us, which was huge, but that covered probably the plane tickets and gave us a few thousand dollars extra, not enough for a year in the jungle in the mission field, and so it was great, and I remember walking towards just going i don 't know god 's going to provide i don 't know god 's going to provide and, 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 and the Tushis gave a farewell party to us and we were there, and this gentleman came up to me and said, so what are you guys going to do over there? And so we started, I started laying out this big plan of all that we were going to do. And he says, where's the money coming from? I was like, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, but that's God's problem. That's not my problem. He said, well, let me give you a $12,000 check tomorrow. Okay. All right, we're about three weeks away. This one person put $125,000 into our hands, my parents' hands, in the course of a year. Okay course of a year man God opened the doors didn't he now he didn't do it at once I didn't know it was coming but as I look back I can see how he just provided so I get to we get to the mission field and we're like man God is opening doors this is what God's going to do because inside of our hearts we go it's all going to be smooth if God is with me man what trials am I going to face that is such baloney we get there, and it is ra- it's is—it's not even rainy season, and it's torrential downpours that, that the chiefs in the village go to the witch doctor and tell them to cut it out. They came to us and we went to the, the witch doctor, and uh, we've told them to cut this rain off, just so you know. Okay, thank you. And it rained, and there were rats, and we weren't getting anything done. We were standing under tarps feeling sorry for ourselves. And it was in the midst of those circumstances where we were in a boat that I was gripped with fear. It was in the midst of God's amazing, miraculous provision of opening up the doors that I found myself anxious about my kids possibly dying or getting sick. See, we can't say, oh, look at the Israelites. You know, with all that God has done, we do it too. I do it. And God brings us to a place He's going to challenge us. James says this, consider pure joy when you go through many trials, correct? Right? He says, because it will be, and I'm paraphrasing, it basically tests your faith. How do you test faith? When your faith is challenged? See, what happens to me so much is this, is I find myself when I get to a a massive trial, especially when I'm doing my best to move in obedience to God, is, is I find myself asking this question. It's not that I go, oh, God's brought me out here to die. What happens in my heart is, man, did I hear God? Did I miss God in this? Did God really say, do this? And what brings me to that point is a trial or a circumstance which looks dire or desperate or as if God's abandoned us. I think the Israelites felt that when they looked at the Red Sea. I think the Israelites felt that when they looked at the promised land. You and I face it all the time in our lives too. God will bring us to places in our lives. Remember, the Israelites were being led by God when they went up against the Red Sea it was the pillar of fire that led them there. It was the pillar of fire that led them to the bitter waters. And every trial that they faced, God was teaching them about who He is and was. And every trial that you and I face in the midst of fear, God is teaching us about who He is. But somehow in our minds... We're guilty of this. I don't know where this theology comes from because it's certainly not in here. But we get to this point in our minds we go, well, because God is for me. It's just going to be smooth sailing. And we get to a trial. We go, where is God? Let me tell you, God's right there. And God is building you. And if we're not careful, sometimes we'll take our fear and we'll try and use our fear to shape God into the kind of God we want Him to be because we don't like fear we'll use our fear and say you know what i don't like how this is feeling i don't think this is of god what's not it's not of god is that you don't like how you're feeling and then we say well god wouldn't do this and so what happens and we got to be so careful of this because especially in the world that we live in man if we have a sin in our life that sin's not from god We start shaping and forming a God after our own image and thoughts and desires and lusts and wrongs and sins to make some kind of God that makes me good in His sight. Rand's saying, no, this is who God is. We can't use our fears and our sins to build a God that we're okay with. And so sometimes we've got to be careful that we don't go, okay, because I'm afraid of this, this isn't from God. God does do some crazy things sometimes. And it doesn't mean that just because something's crazy, it's from God. You have to be hearing from God. But we can find ourselves, when God opens up doors like He did for us, in the midst of those things, finding ourselves very much afraid. And so we look back here, back to the Israelites 40 years earlier there at the, at the, at the, at the the outside of the promised land and God says, this is it, it's all been about this. And fear grips them. And because of their fear, because they give into the fear, what happens? They're in the desert for another 40 years. They never inherit the promised land that God had for them because fear. They were led by their fear rather than being led by God. So 40 years later, we bring it back up to where we are in Joshua. And and so in the midst of this, God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. My promises are not. The people may have rebelled against me, but my promises stand true. It will be for you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will give you every place where you put your foot. Now then, all you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. He says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. I want to continue with this. He says, again, be strong and very courageous. It was fear that kept their forefathers, their their, 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 their parents before them from inheriting the promised land. And God knows it'll be fear that keeps them from inheriting this land. You know what's so cool about God? Is that God brings them right back to the circumstances. See, they they faced obstacles before, and they're at a point now where they they face obstacles again. I think in our minds, what we'd like is God to learn from these experiences. God knows that we don't do well with obstacles. What we would like is God to learn and do a better job with teaching us. That means the next time, remove the obstacles, and then we'll be obedient. The next time, remove obstacles, and then we'll move in faith. But God doesn't do that. God brings them 40 years later. There they are, different location, but still standing there, getting ready to inherit the promised land. And guess what? There's a massive obstacle in front of them. And you know what God says to them? Moses is dead. That strikes fear. Your, your, your chief leader of 40 years is... Is, is gone. New leadership. And now you get ready to cross into the promised land. I don't believe he tells him until chapter three later on, three days later, hey, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to follow my presence into it. He just says to him, you get ready. You and all these people get ready. Now I've been a leader for some time now and I know what happens when you tell people, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. Just get ready to go and do this. Well, hand goes up. Yes. Um... So what path are we taking? And what people want to hear is a well-articulated plan. Well, based on the river, based on what we know, this is the path. And Joshua goes, yeah, I don't know. Another hand goes up. Well, Joshua, i got little kids, and that's really kind of high. How do you suppose that we get this through, right? Now, guys, I'm just guessing this happened, but we aren't dealing with people, And we are dealing with two million of them. I think it's a safe assumption that they had three days to suddenly go, hey, Joshua, um, so what's your suggestion? How do you think? What's your plan? And God didn't give him a plan. God just says, get ready. He says, get ready. But the chief thing that God says to him is basically, Moses, get ready. And then he says this, get ready to inherit. Get ready to walk into the obstacle And Joshua, be strong and courageous. In fact, what God says to Joshua in this, Moses is dead, you're going to inherit the promised land, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Why? Because he knows that it was terror and fear that kept them out before. And God goes right to the heart of it and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He doesn't tell them how it's all going to happen. And when he does tell them, he simply says, follow my presence and it will show you the way. A lot of us don't like that. A lot of us want a map written down. Here's step by step. Here's the path. But a lot of times God says, just follow me. God says to them, follow the ark of the covenant, which represents his presence with his people, because it will lead you by a path you've never been before. Be strong and courageous. We feel that this is what God is saying to us as a church. We feel like God is saying, hey, glad tidings, get ready. We don't feel like God has given us this clearly defined path. The temptation in me is to try and create one. I don't feel like God's given it to me. I don't feel like God's given it to the board. But we feel like God is saying, no, get ready. Can I say something? This isn't about the board. This is not about me. It's actually about you. This isn't something that the board's responsible for or that the pastor's responsible for. It's something you're responsible for. That people chose not to go. And so I want to tell you guys this. Guys, this is not a walk of faith for me. It's not a walk of faith for the, for, for the board. I shouldn't say it's not a walk. It's not just a walk of faith for us. It's a walk of faith for all of us. We are all in this. God is telling us, get ready. God is telling you, get ready. And guess what? We don't know what it looks like. And so we want to ask you to pray. We want to ask you to fast. In fact, what I want to do is ask you to fast either on Wednesday or Thursday at lunchtime. The building committee has been fasting. The board has been fasting. If you can fast, not both days, one of those days at lunch whichever works for you and if none of those days work choose a day that does but it's something nice about knowing that we're all fasting and praying together we need to fast and pray together guys this is on you you can't sit there and go this is on us i know it's more comforting to say well the pastors will lead us and the bull will lead us yes but honestly god told joshua to tell the people get ready they were already ready they have all their stuff what is he saying prepare yourself fast and pray. Pray for us. Pray that God will speak to us. Pray that God will lead us. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to take one step off the path that God has for us. But I can promise you this. There are going to be times and, and, and obstacles that come our path when we follow God that will bring us to a point where we go, oh boy, did we hear from God on this? Or where our, our faith is challenged and our fear rises because the obstacle looks good. Do you know why? Because I see it all through Scripture. And because, you know why? Because God is not interested in building a building. He's interested in building his people. And he builds us, like it says in James, that we consider pure joy when he tests our faith. And that testing of our faith develops perseverance. You know what perseverance is? Basically a never-quit attitude. That no, though he slay me, I will serve him. I am going after God. And we are going to do this together. So I'm asking you, the leadership is asking you, will you pray with us? Seriously, will you pray? I'm asking a question now. Will you pray with us? I mean, we need you to pray with us. This is not like, hey, if you feel like it. No, we're counting on you to pray for us. Uh, you want us to hear from God? You pray for us. And guess what? Because nothing can happen in this church until this membership votes. You have to pray. You have to hear from God. And can i can to be honest with you, when you vote on something... Guess what? Nobody wants to hear from you. They want to hear what God has said to you or the way God is leading you. That's what you expect from me. That's what you expect from the board. You want to know not what Selwyn thinks, what has God said. And so we need to pray, God, show us, show us the way. Do I have a building in mind? Nope, I don't. Do we have something? No, we don't. We have, there is nothing. We're praying right now, God, what are our next steps? Because we feel God is saying, get ready. I want you to pray with us on that. And I want to make it a little more personal. See, this is a message for us corporately, but it's a message for you individually. Is fear preventing you from going further with God? Is there some place, maybe you find that you've just kind of plateaued out, maybe the reason for it is because you've been too afraid. Maybe you've kind of justified not moving or going somewhere because somehow you've convinced yourself that because you're afraid it's not from God. Can I say something? I'm not trying to highlight myself, but God called us to take a young autistic boy... The jungles where there was no education, no health care. It seems crazy, and people thought we were crazy, and God took us there and He thrived. Yeah, God does some crazy things sometimes, but let me be just because it's crazy doesn't mean it's from God. And don't try and call your crazy ideas faith unless you know that it's from God. And God will confirm it, and God will move in unity in your family as well. I knew that it was so much to ask Lord, to go to the jungles. And I asked God, God, would you confirm it in her? Because we're a family. And God did. Well, what, what's, where are you with God? Is, is faith keeping you? Is, is faith or fear, has fear hindered you from moving forward with God? See, I've told you stories about how I've wrestled with fear. Guys, it's not that the fear goes away. It's that my faith sometimes just outpowers my fear just by a little bit it's not the presence of fear that is wrong it's the following of fear that is wrong i'm gonna get afraid again because i'm human but i make sure i put god that he raises over my fear there have been times where i have been led by fear you know why i can't tell you the ends of those stories It's because i don't know what they are How do I know that God wasn't going to do something amazing if I hadn't given in to fear? I don't. You can find yourself following God. You can find yourself right in the presence of God and and where He is and still facing fear. Guys, do not be led by fear. Be led by God. And there are times where in the midst of craziness, He might look at you and say, why did you doubt? Like you said to Peter, why did you doubt walking on water? Are you following God? Are you hearing from Him? God wants to take you places. His promises for us, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future goes on to say you will seek me and i'm paraphrasing this when you seek me with all of your heart i will be found by you god has plans for you he has plans for us as a church and He has plans for you as an individual make sure you're being led by faith and not by fear will you stand your feet this morning i just want to pray i want to pray for us corporately i want to pray for us individually and then We're just going to open these altars and you can pray. You can pray at your seat. But I I do ask this. Would you respond not to my message. This isn't mine. This is his. Would you respond to God and what God is saying to you? Will Jesus become before you? God, you are challenging. But God, you are loving. And God, you are gracious. And God, you are awesome. And God, I thank you that you love us so much. Lord Jesus, you willingly gave your life for us that we could live. God, I thank you that, God, all authority in heaven and earth are yours. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that, God, you spoke and you formed this world. You control everything. God, I pray for those of us this morning that are in this place, Lord Jesus, who are overwhelmed by fear of sickness. God, we declare that your name is bigger than sickness. Lord Jesus, your name is bigger than cancer. It's bigger than death. It's bigger than anything. And so I pray, Lord God, of those who are struggling in this, God, would you just overwhelm them with your presence, Lord God? And God, would would you show them, Lord God, that you're not so worried about their sickness as you're worried about their lack of trust in you? And God, that how you want to work on that, You've got their sickness. but God, they need to choose to trust you. God, I pray for those who, who, who are battling some big decision, Lord Jesus, and fear has gripped their hearts. And, and God, maybe it's, it's, it could be like life-changing, Lord God. Maybe, maybe it could almost look like death because if they lose their finance or they lose these things, God, but if they follow you and maybe they're trying to talk their, themselves out of, of, of believing that this is from you, God, I pray that you would speak to them this morning. God, that you would calm their nerves. God, that you would show them your faithfulness. And God, that you would lead them to their promised land, to the place that you have for them, Lord God. God, I don't know every circumstance in here. But God, everyone who is facing fear has their own circumstance. And God, they're not alone. We know that you're with them. And you know we know that you're going to lead them and guide them. We just pray that they would cry out to you. God, we pray for us as a church. God, we thank you for this amazing building you have placed us in. We thank you for the growth. We thank you for the health. God, we thank you for the history. We thank you for the salvations, God, that have taken place in this, in this very building. But, God, we know that you are not about a building. And, God, we thank you that you're telling us to get ready. Help us to focus on you. Help us to hear you and to follow you, Lord God, and not to give in to fear, Lord Jesus. And God, help us to be the church that you want us to be. God, help us to reach the multitudes of people that we are surrounded by that do not know you. And bring us into a spacious building, God, where we have room to bring them all in, we pray. God, that your name would be glorified and your kingdom built. Lead us according to your will, we pray. And don't let us take one step off the path that you have for us, from the left to the right, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you respond to him? These altars are open. If I have some deacons here, they can join me for praying. That would be awesome. If you want us to pray for you, we're here. We love you guys. Please fast with us and get ready. Amen.